Welcome back to another episode of Chasing Heroin Nod Pod. Thank you guys so much. So y'all are going to like today's episode. Yeah. yeah. We interviewed TikToker. Her TikTok name is One Armed Badass. One Arm with 1D Badass. And she just like the name implies, she lost an arm to xylazine and fentanyl addiction. And she has the best attitude. She's very positive. Right? Yeah, she's very positive. I don't know if I'd be that positive. I wouldn't be. Yeah. I'm a bitch about things and I've got both my arms. Yeah. And I'm always complaining about things. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's fair. And yeah. I always feel bad for myself, you know? Yeah, I was just on the pity pot. For sure. Yeah. So are you sometimes. Oh, I know. I, I'm, I'm not <laughs> Yeah, and that went to wild places too. I did not know that she was going to talk about doing fetish work. I didn't I, know that part I of know. her story. I know. You know, when she started talking about it, I started thinking, thinking about that first time. The happened. foot matrix yeah, dominatrix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. That's, that's the episode I talked about. Yeah. But, but this was a little a little different. Well, little, we got little, to go more in depth Yeah, with a little different, yeah. different kinks, but wow, like, oh, like, oof. And she just is out with it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. No shame. Oh, I mean, whatever. I mean, right. people like kinks. You know? Also, if you're dope sick, you're going to do anything. And anyone says that they're not as full of shit. Oh, I would have definitely done what she, I would have took it further. <laughs> would have took it further. I think it's in there what I said I would have done. It is. Okay. It's 100% in there okay. what you said. So y'all got to listen to it. Nate yeah. just put out for the record what he would do if anybody ever asked him for a kink fetish shop. No, no. I, I didn't say what I would. So I said for the amount that they offer. Oh, sure. Oh, the, you're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Okay. I you did say that. I would have upped the ante. Yes. Like yes. I, I would have probably done more. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah that's fair. Yeah. But yeah, you guys, this is a great episode. I think you're really going to like it. You know, they talk about the xylazine, fentanyl, and it's not an emerging crisis. It's something that's been around for a while. And I've had several requests from you guys to talk about this. And so, you know, we've got somebody on today. So I think that you guys are really going to like this episode. And then also, I just wanted to do a little check-in. Well, actually, I guess with both of us. So I'm now, I'm back running a spin studio, which I didn't necessarily want to do, but I'm super happy to be doing. The studio that I went to, which crazily enough, the new owner I bought my studio from. Oh. I bought Cybrid from. Oh, wow. Yeah, have that's, I even told you wild. that? No. And she's back. She bought this one. Oh, that's crazy. And made me the GM. So now we're working together again. That's so weird. I know, which is really weird. So working with her again, which is good. It's mm. stressful with all the spin stuff again. But, you know, it's like, as it's been going, I feel like that's really where my heart is. You know, I love doing that kind of stuff. And you have recently made a huge life change and switch. Why don't you tell the nod pod about that? Yeah, so uh, I'm leaving my day job and I'm going to go into like a different field just to have like, because I'm burnt out and it's like what I do all day. And I just realized that it's not conducive to my life anymore. And, and I just need to focus on myself and like I can do my own little thing on the side. You yeah. know what I mean? It's just like I was doing too much. I mean, I was doing the needle exchange. I mean, the podcast here, I was working full time. I was handling my job, social media, concerts, concerts. consulting, yeah. interviews, you know what I mean? Just have all this shit and I just uh, really didn't have a life and it had a negative impact on me and others, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, so I'm leaving my day job, I'm not doing syringe exchange, I'm not gonna be getting samples anymore, I'm not gonna be like- Oh, you're not doing that either, okay. I'm not doing the samples anymore, no, I'm just gonna work and like do my own thing on the okay. side and just like try to find like harmony in life, like the balance, you know what I mean? Because yeah. that shit was like killing me. It was literally killing you. Yeah. It was, that was a lot. Yeah, it was literally killing me. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I'm still going to do my thing on the side, but all that other shit, I'm just not going to do. And know? by thing on the side, you mean Narcan with your own 501c? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm still going to do, so there's like two concerts lined up. I think Warren and G are going to do them. It's called, it's called Queer Space Party. It's like 
one's in June, one's in July, so they're both gonna do them. Okay. It's like EDM music and things like that. Okay. And then I'm doing something with, I think it's all bad. It's gonna do something. I'm gonna go up there for the, okay. for the live thing, and then I'm doing something with the castle like next week, I think. Okay, okay. So it's just what castle? So it's it's called the castle, and pretty much it's like an art collective slash like recording studio. Oh, I thought you meant the Magic Castle no, in Hollywood. No, no, it's like a, it's like they get like it's a tattoo studio art <laughs> oh, collective. Okay. Um, you know what I'm talking about, though, the Magic Castle. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And then they, um, so it's Art Collective, Recording Studio, and they do tattoos there. Okay, cool. So, so I'm going to do some. So you've got a few events lined up to table, but then after that, you're done. Oh, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i not doing the shows. I'm literally, like, I may not even go to the castle. I may, yeah, I may, okay. send, I may send it up with Brandon and be like, Brandon, take this shit here, drop it off, I'll yeah. buy your dinner. You know what I mean? But I, I think that's a huge, that's yeah. a huge step in recovery to get to a point where we try to find balance yeah and like what does joyful life look like for me yeah you know which yeah. is something i've learned more about with the podcast we were even just talking about it on this episode like there's abstinence and 12-step in meetings yeah and then there's a recovered life which is taking ownership of your life yeah and i'm not saying i'm gonna start drinking or smoking no, weed or anything no, like no. that but like it's like i was really attached to that idea too of mm -hmm. the service work in 12-step and the meetings and all that stuff but it's like is my life actually enjoyable? Right. right? Can I find balance there? And yeah. that's like where I'm trying to get also, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, no, I mean, shit, I might even do any of that. I mean, I'm like, but Lauren and G's doing the concert. I'm not yeah, doing yeah, the yeah. concert. And then, yeah. I mean, I might go to the castle. I might send it with someone else. Like, whatever. If, if I do, I'm just driving. I'm like, I'm just going to handle all my errands in LA for the day and just not yeah. have to go to LA, you know? And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I'm doing some, I got another adventure in Mexico coming up. Oh my God. Yeah. What are you doing in Mexico? Well, I'm not. Can, I, how do, how do I Can you say it? Is it legal? I, it's not legal. Um, so let's say. Let's say you're allegedly allegedly supporting the fire department over there. Okay. In I'm not gonna say where it's at, but it's yeah. With testing product or Narcan? Naloxone, Narcan. Yeah. Is that illegal in Mexico? Well, see, it's not fun. So it's not funded or sanctioned by the government. Oh. And so it's like- So it's a gray area. It's a gray area. I mean, if they got, if the shipment got- Confiscated. Confiscated. Seized. If, they, if they seized or inter, inter, interdicted, they would probably just tax you. You just pay them some money and you oh, go on. You I know understand. what I mean? I okay, okay. I don't think they're gonna trip over it, but it's definitely like not legal. Okay. You know, and then, and then there's some other aspects of legality, like from, my part here that's okay, okay. not legal okay <laughs> if i was to do something like that if you were if but i you're were not. but i'm not all right um, okay <laughs> but because i'm a law-abiding citizen i know okay i just want i just want to make sure everybody knows we know that i'm a law-abiding yes, citizen yes yes um and i think that's SB. okay cool all right all right you guys oh i have to add this two things mm. so for one my fucking tiktok you can't look up anymore. There's a community service violation. So if you go to my Instagram, I've had people, there's a review on Apple saying that they can't find it. If you go to Instagram, it's in my bio. Also, I always link it in the show notes. So if you just go to this episode, you can go. Also, I set up something where you can call in and leave us a voice message on the show. Oh, that's crazy. I know. That's wild. I know. So if you, because somebody reached out, they have an NDPE which is a near-death poop experience. Oh my, we're doing another one of those. So some guy reached out and he was like, I have a death shit story to share with you, but it's too much to type. And I thought that I could set up a voice message and I can. Yeah. So I set up a link, it's on my Instagram. It's also, it'll be in the show notes. Yeah. If you guys want to share a story with us or shout out like your, if you've got like a sobriety date or something that you want to share with us, you can leave us a voice message. So he's going to share with us his NDPE. I haven't gotten it yet, but I was actually just going to play it while we were doing the intro, but I'll do it next time. We'll uh -huh. just play it and blind react to it because I have no idea 
idea what happened to this guy. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh, I react to MVP. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, if you guys want to just like say hi to us, we can. You can be on the show. We'll play it on the show. A voice message. That's cool, right? Yeah, fancy. Fancy. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. So, anyways, all right, you guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us again this mm-hmm. week, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, you guys, welcome back, NodPod. Thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode of Chasing Heroin. Special occasion, we've got Narcan Nate with us again. <laughs> I, I feel like it's a special back. occasion when we have you. Uh, not really. It is to me. Why? Because they miss you and I miss you. Uh, I want you on the episodes. Well, thank you for having me. Okay. I appreciate it. Sure, of course. Um, and I'm very, this is definitely a special occasion because I've wanted to get this TikToker on for a while. Um, her name is One Armed Badass on TikTok, which is pretty descriptive. Do you go by Jess or Jesse or what do you go by? Jess, Jesse, that one arm girl, a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jess, the one arm badass, how are you? Thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, we'll just jump right on. We were speaking a little bit off air, but yeah, just go ahead and if you wouldn't mind, walk us through, you know, where you're from and how you got started using. All right. So I'm from Maryland. I live about 45 minutes from Baltimore, about 45 minutes from Philly. So I'm like in the middle. I started using, uh, I was 15. I got a really bad soccer injury. My doctor, for some reason, prescribed me morphine 100s and oxycodone 30s. And then it happened like right before like prohibition happened. So it was like, I started taking them and I think it was just kind of like a subconscious thing. Like I always had a really hard, uh, high tolerance. So, like, really quickly, I was popping them, like, a lot, like, and it wasn't even for, like, a a pain thing. It was just kind of, like, I liked the way it gave me confidence and stuff when um I was on the pills. So then they cut me off. I started having to score them on the street. Then I had a friend that was like, you know, you would be doing so much less if you just snorted them. And I was like, well, as long as I'm not shooting it, you know what I mean? Whatever. So I started snorting them and then that turned. And then when, you know, all the doctors were getting cut off, I was probably like 21, 20, 21. They cut me off completely. And then they started cutting everyone else around me off completely. So it was like you couldn't find it anymore. You know what I mean? So then I started picking up heroin because it was cheaper and then um, started sorting that. Then I got on the methadone program because I got pregnant with my second child. I got on the methadone program. So anyway, I started sorting heroin or whatever. And then I found out I was pregnant with my second oldest because I, I quit the whole time I was pregnant with my oldest. Like it was no problem. I had something happen to me really bad at the end of the pregnancy that her father had done and it caused me to relapse after you know what I mean after I had her well then I met my second oldest's father and you know he was like once I got pregnant he was like we need to get our life together yada 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 he'd only ever touched pills you know what I mean so we went to the methadone clinic my heart wasn't really all in it so for a couple years I did good on the methadone clinic and then everybody in my family because of course the stigma that goes around methadone especially back then you know everybody like kind of like pushed me to get off of it because I wasn't sober you know even though my life was like manageable and I was you know doing what I needed to do in their eyes, I wasn't sober. And this is coming from a family who's very straight edge and they're not 
they, they've never been, like, into alcohol, drinking, like, any kind of drugs, you know what I mean? So, they were used to be very, like, NA-like, kind of, like, outlook on things. Like, if I wasn't abstinent, I wasn't clean kind right. of thing. So, I quit the methadone. Not even a week later, I picked up a needle for the first time. Oh, shit. So, yeah, a, a week later, well... I started dating this guy. It's such a whirlwind through these years, so I'm going to get, like, confused. <laughs> I started dating this guy because I left my... The guy that I'm currently with now, I have yeah. two children with. So I I left him because he wasn't going to deal with my shit. You know what I mean? So I left him, and I got with this other guy, and I was sick for, like, two days and he came in and was like, had it all drawn up in the needle and was like, this is how you're getting well today if you want to get well. Because he knew if I started shooting up, then all of my money was going to go towards benefiting both of us. You know what I mean? I have a couple of sure. questions. So you mean you were sick from the methadone and he had a needle ready? Uh, from methadone? Yeah, because I literally quit it like 110 milligrams or something. Oh, shit. You I didn't, didn't, you didn't do a taper or anything? You just stopped? No, I didn't taper properly. I just stopped because okay. I thought I could do it. You know what I mean? And I just wanted everyone to stop being disappointed in me. That Like, yeah. I have a really hard time with people being disappointed in me, like, really bad. Yeah. And then I just... I just wanted it to stop. I felt like my, my skeleton was fighting to get out of my body. You know what yeah. I mean? Oh, I know. That's a good oh. way to describe it. Oh. That's a good way to describe the detox from oh. opiates or methadone. Oh, God. I feel like my spine was coming this way and my ribs were fighting my spine to come this way. Like, it's like your body is literally fighting itself. Yeah, totally. And it's horrible. Like, it's a horrible feeling. And, like, I just wanted it to stop. And now, mind you, I was horrified of needles. I still am. Okay? Horrified. Dude, I still am, too. And I used, yeah. needles. I used needles for a long time. And I was telling him I got a nutrient IV the other day. When they're doing it, I'm always like, oh, no, 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 no. I can't yeah. look at it. I can't yeah. look at it. And I used to shoot into my neck. And I can't even look at him anymore. I could never do that. <laughs> Yeah, that I've done that a couple times and I it gives me like, uh, I just got my veins back in this arm. I just got them back because the other last weekend when I went to the hospital, when I had that preeclampsia scare that I was yeah. telling you about, I freaking they hit me right away. And I'm like, OK, that never happens. Well, that's good. <laughs> I actually had a nurse once at the clinic. I was getting blood work done and they knew my history. And I went like, and it was so, she was so rude. I mean, I don't think she was trying to be rude because she was young, but I went like this and she was like, how does this freak you out? Oh, wow. Because I think it's also different when we're shooting ourselves. For sure. It's like when you're shooting yourself, you can control it. Yeah. And like when someone else is doing it, I feel like they're going to hurt me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Like I would be, I didn't feel pain when I did it myself. Cause when I first started shooting, I didn't want to know how. And so my boyfriend did it. And I remember he was trying to yeah, hit my foot me. once and I like screamed out loud. It hurt so bad. But later I'd be hitting my foot. Bam, 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 bam. Yeah. Didn't even feel it. Girl. And so I think it's the same thing if you do it yourself, you know? Girl, I remember one time I was so sick. And I had scabbing all up both arms, and I had scabbing on my shin. I had nowhere to go on this leg, and I found that vein that goes right down your crotch. <gasps> I went there. I was like, dude, I've gone so many freaking places when I'm sick, and I'm like, now I'm like, 
oh god you have to put a needle in my arm (laughs) (laughs) that's crazy okay so you moved to needles when you were sick from methadone which we'll revisit that later because this is one of nate's pain points in life is that that narrative so somebody made you get you know pressure got you off methadone and you got on needles yeah that's why i always tell people like don't listen to people when it comes to you got to listen to your body first because I went in a downward spiral. The first time that hit me, like for two hours, I laid there crying because I didn't want to do it because it was just like I always had it in my head. As long as I didn't shoot up, I was okay. You know what I mean? You just kind of like justify shit like as you're going. So finally, and he hits me like this, which like never happened again, by the way. (laughs) He hits me right here. And then it was like... The first time, and I remember it like it was yesterday, like it was like everything melted away. Like it was the most loving, warm hug. And I just, I felt like nothing in the world could bother me for like, not that long, obviously. But like, I never felt that like rush that you feel like the first time. It's like, it was just amazing. Like I was just numb to everything. Well, then because of that, I was off to the races. Like I just, my mom started noticing that I, you know, things were off with me. I was losing a lot of weight. She kicked me out. See, it was like 2000 and I want to say 2014, 2000. Yeah, around about there. She kicked me out completely, totally cut me off. She took custody of my older three kids. And once she took custody of my kids, I had no reason to not while out. You know what I mean? Like, I was just like, I have no reason to live anymore. Like, I don't care. I didn't care if I die. Like, I really didn't. I was on a, I was on a freaking mission to die. And my tolerance was so high. Like, I was like, maybe at the time, 90 pounds soaking wet at this time. And like, I was using more than my seven foot tall, 250 pound boyfriend. You know what I mean? Like I just, like I could, and it didn't affect me. I spiraled out for a while, you know, fentanyl like creeped into the supply pretty quickly after that. Then I started making, you know, I started escorting. I started off doing like fetishes and stuff like that. And then like, you know, it always evolves from there. Hold on. Okay. I have a couple of questions. So you were doing heroin when fentanyl started coming into the supply. Did you know, was it like fentanyl looks different? And so now you're doing fentanyl or was it just in the heroin and then eventually all the heroin was gone? What did that look like? It kind of like phased in. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, like we had heard people be like, oh, there's probably fentanyl in that. Okay. And like, I wouldn't have cared either way. Right. I would have done it. You know what I mean? But I didn't like, I would say like, no, you know what I mean? Like right away. It was just kind of like, oh, heroin's better now. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. It wasn't like, there wasn't like a bulletin center. Right. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> it was just kind of phased yeah. did in. It, did it get to the point where there was just only fentanyl? Because now out here, there's basically only yeah. fentanyl. Did it get to the point where it was? Yeah. Oh, okay. that happened very quickly. Okay. That happened very quickly around here. Brown dope got phased out so quick and like you couldn't find that shit if you wanted to. Like even if you thought you were still doing brown dope, you weren't. You know what I mean? Okay. And like I always made it a point to know the big guy on campus. So like I always kind of knew before everybody else like what was going to be in the supply. 
but you know, it just kind of phased in and, and we were already addicted to it and it got us higher. So we didn't care. The high was a lot less though. Like at first it was like, at first you were just like, there was no half-life with it. Right, you know right. what I mean? And then when you say at first you were doing fetish stuff, what do you mean? What does that mean? Little stuff like a lot of it was like, dude, I couldn't even tell you how many preachers I used to walk around on a leash. You know what I mean? Preachers? Is that what you said? Yes. And cops. Wait, how would they find you? Like on Craigslist? I would go on secret benefits. Okay. Seeking arrangements. And I never did Craigslist. Craigslist I think no one does Craigslist anymore. And I'm so old school and out of it. I keep thinking everybody's on Craigslist. I was going to post a job listing for my studio on Craigslist. And the girls were like, I don't use Craigslist anymore. You can definitely buy dope on Craigslist. I knew that. That I knew. You can definitely still buy dope. Honestly, Secret Benefits was the best, like, because I got all my whales from that that site. Your whale. Literally all of them from that site. And they were so easy. Well, for our listeners means big clients, like the money clients, right? Is what you mean? Yeah. And like, and see, it took a long time for like my looks to deteriorate too. So like, it was just like ramped up really bad at the end. Uh You know what I mean? So like, I could get away with anything by just blinking and smiling. You know what I mean? And then when my teeth started deteriorating, I could talk my way into anything. So like, I already made you fall in love with me before we ever met. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was very manipulative. Yeah. <laughs> like, very manipulative. Okay, so fetish, you would walk people on leashes. Give me just one other example. I got to know about this. Give me another example. <laughs> feet, feet's a huge thing. Oh, my God. Just anything to do with feet. I had a guy. I used to call him Cinderella, right? I had nicknames for all of them. And I called him Cinderella because... He would buy me heels. Like, I would stay stocked in heels, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, boxes of just brand new, beautiful heels. And all he wanted me to do was walk around in them in my underwear. And that is it. Wow. And he would pay me hundreds of dollars and give me free heels for it. Like, it was ridiculous. I had a guy. I mean, I, there wasn't really anything I would say no to, okay. to be honest. I was like... <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, okay, you're a freaky son of a bitch. I don't care. It's going to bring me money, you know. I never king shamed anyone, I guess. Like, it just didn't bother me. Like, I, it never affected. Now, like, looking back, I'm like, Jesus Christ, the shit I did. Can you tell me the wildest, <laughs> what was the craziest, wildest thing somebody ever asked for? My biggest whale, which is how I funded my fentanyl xylazine habit, okay. he had a mom and pop pharmacy. He actually just got indicted in PA, but he had a mom and pop pharmacy and we were seeing each other for a while and he gave me lots of money, like lots of money, right? Then one day he was like, do you know what oxycodone 30s are? And I'm like playing dumb, like, no, what are they? And he was like, oh, if I gave you those, you could even make any even more money. I was like, okay. So then we start meeting at his pharmacy, right? Well, he was really dominant, you know what I mean? Like, like real dominant. I remember one time he put down, let me see, it was like 800 Roxy 30s, 215s, and then a stack of money. And he and was just like, just wanted me to drink my own pee. And I was like, okay, like, I'm going to be set if I do this. So I did it. And then freaking 
then like I mean he was really like he was really into waterworks play like it's just how he was like he was just really weird like that and then like I had a guy that he paid me eight hundred dollars to like treat him like a baby for an hour that was the creepiest one to be honest like that's the only one I like still look back on and I'm like you know it gives me like a weird (laughs) feeling but like no, not the one, not the one with the pee. Like that one doesn't bother me. <laughs> right, not the baby Listen, one. That was worth it. That's a lot of damn. I would have done this. I mean, I'm, say I, that I'm into my, the mic. Say that into I, the I, mic. I mean, I, that that one was worth it. I mean, I might have shit in my hand and gave myself like a face mask for that. Well, he I mean, was in love with. That is the only thing I could never bring myself to do was any kind of fecal play. Like I couldn't do it. Like it was yeah. just something that it was just something I couldn't do. But, like, anything else, I didn't give a shit. Like, I was like, okay. Like, I had a guy, I had a guy who wanted me to wear a wig and let him call me his sister's name. I'm like, okay, like, whatever. I was so strung out, I didn't care. I was like, I don't know your sister, I don't give a shit, you know what I mean? Have you heard that? I know you've seen this trend on TikTok where it's like, I'm not afraid of God. I am afraid of men. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I'm telling you. And it's, and the crazy thing is, I've had females, right, that have hit me up. And like, like I said, like, I could talk my way into anything. Like, I was never like the standard of like societal beauty. You know what I mean? Like, I was cute, but I wasn't like, you know, anything to write home about. (laughs) But like, I was so good because I was educated and I could present myself well and I was a good bullshitter. So like, I would just have people like eating out of my hands. Like, it was crazy. Like, like the guy I was talking about from the pharmacy, like he, I mean, he paid for me to have a home. I had a four bedroom house that he paid for that like he he paid rent for. He was just in love with me. And he had like 20 other girls, but I was like his favorite. You know what I mean? So like I got whatever I wanted. And like when he got indicted, actually, they contacted me. The uh, DA did. Right. And I was like, you know, I played dumb. Like, uh, for one, I was out of the game for like a year at this point. And I'm like, dude, Marty, like, if it wasn't for him, I would have had nothing. And like, even though like he knew I was using, like, he knew all this shit, he always made sure I was okay and I had a place to live. And he was like my support system in a way. And like, they were trying to get me to like roll on him. And I was like, no, like, literally, no. And they were like, well, just in what we can, what we can add up to you in the last five years is that he at least gave you one point six million dollars worth of pills. And I'm like, you didn't need to tell me that. <laughs> you didn't need to tell me that. Right. Like, and that's not even adding the shit you don't know about. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about because, like, I used a burner number. They couldn't link it to me. And even if I did know anything, I was like, there's nothing you can do about it. Like, you didn't catch me doing shit. Right. You know what I mean? He ended up paying, like, $100,000, got out. Like, he's good yeah. now. Like, yeah. he contacted me probably, like, right after. It was just like, I know you're doing good now. I just wanted to let you know what happened. And, I'll, and, he, and I'm really glad that you, like, didn't say anything. And I'm like, why would I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm out of the street, but I'm still not going to say anything. 
So when did xylazine make its way into your, because we just did a, an episode recently and I learned a little bit more about xylazine. So my understanding is that fentanyl fades faster. So you get sick sooner. Mm-hmm. So xylene, xylazine yeah. would extend the time before you got sick. So is, how did it make its way into your world? Okay. So we started going to Philly. We went right there back when it was like, uh, a lot of car fentanyl. We would go right there. They call it Needle Park in Kensington because literally the whole park is just needles all over the park, like, and kids are playing right here. You know what I mean? I started going to Needle Park because um, my old plug that was actually from Maryland was grabbing from there, and I was like, well, I'm not scared. I'm going up here to find the big guy. You know what I mean? And that's what I did. I literally talked my way into finding the bigger guy <laughs> And then he was like, he introduced me to his dude. And so I was doing the fentanyl there at his house and like I was being his tester and stuff like that. Well, then he was like, oh, well, there's this new stuff we're going to start putting in it to like, it's like a cutting agent. And I was like, oh, okay, like, what is it? And he explained it to me. And like, he didn't really know much about it. It was just something, you know, that everybody was going to start doing. Well, he had cooked it up because, like, you know, you got to, like, put the liquid in, cook it up and everything like that. And then he had me test it. And I was like, oh, this shit's going to be the next big thing. Like, because as soon as you hit, like, it was like my head was in my lap. Like, I hadn't even taken the needle out of my arm. Like, it was, it hit me that quick. You know what I mean? Wow. So, and that was about, let's see, I got clean in 2020. That was about four years before then. So it's been around for a while, which agitates me that they're just now talking about it, but it's been around for a while. That was it. Like, then it was in everything. Like, everybody had that in their supply. And if they didn't have it in the supply, you knew. And it's like, nothing got you well. Nothing. Like, you, if you tried to shoot fentanyl without xylazine, you weren't getting well. Like, you would still grow up. Oh, my god. Yeah, it was, it was wild. Okay, so the the videos and pictures of the people in Kensington when they're draped over—that's why. That's 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 what that's oh, yeah. how that happened. Oh yeah, it's all xylazine, and it's been like that for years. I mean, years. That's why, like, when everyone wants to take videos of it now and be like, "Oh, this is such a upcoming problem," like it's been a problem. Like it's it's just like now it's starting to leak into the suburbs and stuff, so it's becoming a bigger problem for the media. You know what I mean? Because they have to say something now. So you start doing xylazine and fentanyl together, and then I know you get clean in 2020. What do those four years look like for you with xylazine in your life? Because I know you start, you know, you end up losing your arm. Like, what do those four years look like for you? I'd say the first two years is kind of like a blur. Like, I was asleep. Like, I literally just wanted to sleep all the time because I didn't want to deal with life. You know what I mean? I never understood people that wanted to do uppers either because I was like, Dude, I hate my life. I want to be asleep. Like, I don't want to hate my life and be all up. You know what I mean? So, like, I just wanted to be asleep. And then quickly, though, my tolerance, like I said, I've always had a crazy tolerance. I was doing, like, three bundle shots at once of fentanyl xylazine just to, like, take the edge off. So, like, by the end of the day, like, on a good day, I was doing, like, 20 bundles a, a day. I, like, really went off the deep end. I had a couple of suicide attempts during this time period. I filled up six needles. 
probably about like, it was probably about like eight bundles of product. Lined it all up down my arm and like shot it all at once and tried to die. Like I just wanted to die. You know what I mean? You just got to that point. And I woke up an hour later pissed off. I did all my shit. You know what I mean? So, and that happened a couple of times. Like I literally, I just didn't want to, I didn't want to be alive. And then the scabbing started after like year at the end of the second year of me doing fentanyl xylazine. Now, I would get, like, really bad abscesses because I couldn't hit properly. But it wasn't anything like this. Then the scabbing started, and it was, like, really deep scabs. You know what I mean? Like, you couldn't pick them or anything. Like, they were really deep in your skin. And I didn't think anything of it because, like, I missed all the time and, like, okay. fucked up shit would happen to me. You know what I mean? But then it started, it started on this arm, and it was probably, like, this big altogether. So, but the messed up thing about it was, is my veins were so burnt up from the fentanyl xylazine that you want to keep going in the scab because at least you know you're getting something. You know what I mean? You would still feel something. And it's so messed up because you know you should go somewhere else. But like, when you're sick, you just want to feel better. So For like, sure. you'd be like, oh, I'll just do it this one time. I'll just do it this one time here and then I'll find a new spot. And then... It started getting a little bigger. And then within like, I'd say like two months into that, like third year, it was my whole arm. Like, uh, uh, well, it was like up, like how this skin graft is, how it goes up to my elbow. It was like that. And then this side was like that too. Okay. Um, And I went into the hospital because there was like, I kept like tricking myself into thinking I was fixing it by doing like the minimal amount of wound care I would do. And I knew it wasn't from like dirty meals or anything. I always had boxes and boxes and boxes of clean ones because I had my pharmacy plug. So he would just give me boxes of needles. So it wasn't like I was using other people's needles or like dirty ones. Like I literally used a fresh one every time I had to. That's how my veins were. I went in the hospital. I left the hospital that time, I think like four times because I would just get so sick. I mean, I would sneak shit in with me, but it was never enough. So they finally got me to stay and they did skin grafts on this arm and this arm. Now this is probably, I want to say the end of year three is when I got the skin grafts okay. because like they tried to get me to stay pretty much for a whole year. I was just like coming in and going home, coming in and going home. You know what I mean? They got me the skin graft, the grafts in, and I stayed in the hospital for like 18 days. I only had to stay in the hospital for like two more days. I ended up AMAing because I couldn't take it anymore. I was just like a mess. You know what I mean? My boyfriend couldn't bring me shit into the hospital anymore because they weren't letting him in because they kept like having this like feeling that like I was obviously still getting high somehow. So they wouldn't allow him to come in anymore, but they could never find it on me. You know what I mean? So I left, started going in my chin because I was like, I'm not going to go in my arms anymore. It'll be okay. Um, and mind you, nobody around here knew anything in the hospitals about what xylazine could do to you because it was so like, you know, it was so new. So they didn't know what it was. You know what I mean? What did they think was happening to you? And then also, where were you getting the skin for the skin grafts? Where was that coming from? Uh, they took them from my thigh. Okay. I okay. have a scar there still from my thighs. So what did they think was happening? Did they just think that it was abscesses from using needles? They just thought that maybe it was just necrotizing fasciitis from me missing so much okay. because I was, 
Like, I was very honest about how much I would miss. You know what I mean? But I have really sensitive skin anyway, like always have. And because I was missing, it was holding in that muscle and pretty much turning my muscle to mush. But we didn't know that at the time. Okay. So anyway, I started shooting in my chin. And then that starts scabbing quickly. Like, I mean, like within two months, my whole shin is just scabbed. Okay. So then I started, I went back to the hospital. They took the skin off, right? Before they could put the skin back on, I AMA'd. Oh, shit. Because, yeah, because I was so sick. And I had this lady, Lisa, and she, honestly, I love this woman so much. She's like the only what I call textbook counselor that I've ever loved. Like, she's never been an addict, anything like that, but she was, like, amazing, and I just adored her. Like, she would call me, like, crazy, like, you need to come back to the hospital, like, I'm worried about you, and she was amazing. But she was, like, had tears in her eyes, was begging me not to sign out, and I was like, I'll come back tomorrow. I feel like shit. Nothing you're doing is helping me. I gotta go. You know, there was no talking to me when I got sick. Like, there just wasn't at all. Because that that sickness, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. It's like, it's really bad. So, I left. Now, mind you, I kept the gauze on my leg. I didn't change it for, like, three months. Like, I didn't care. Like, I, I didn't care. Like, I was okay with dying. You know what I mean? So, I started shooting again in this arm. Now, mind you, my... Skin was still really fresh. Like, I shouldn't have been doing anything over here because it was it was rebuilding. Like, you know what I mean? It was healing and all that. But I couldn't go on my leg anymore, and I, and I could never get anything in this leg over here. So I started shooting in this arm again, and it got to a point where my arm was just permanently like this because it was so swollen, I couldn't move it, and my hand was like this all the time. So when I have phantom limb now, I just feel my hand like this all the time. Like, that's what it feels like. Because that's what my mind remembers for, like, the last year of my addiction. So one day, and this is the story I always tell people that, like, this is probably why I didn't lose my leg. I was sitting there shooting, and I couldn't hit. And I'm hitting in this big scabbed area all down my arm. Because by this time, the scabbing's all the way up here. Like, it's all over. It's, like, taking over my body. I was 68 pounds at this time. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, my leg is really bothering me today. And see, the thing is, like, everyone's like, how did you deal with that pain? I'm like, dude, I was so fucked up all the time. All I did was sleep. So, like, I would lay on my bed. We had to, like, literally fumigate my whole room when all this was said and done. Because, like, there were piss bottles everywhere, bags of shit. Like, I couldn't move. I literally was, I would get carried to my car from my quote-unquote friends at the time to go get my shit from my pharmacist, and then they would carry me out of the car back into the house. Like, that was my life. Where were you living? In Elkton. Elkton, Maryland. It was right right, right by the Delaware Long Line. But, like, did you live with someone? Who did you live with? No, this was when I still had my four bedrooms. Oh, okay. okay. So, my friends... At the time, they lived with us, okay. and they got high too, of course. So I was like the wallet for everybody. All right, you know okay, what I okay, mean? okay. And, the, and her husband would carry me to the car every day because my ex was all laid up because his shin down on both his legs were scabbed up, and he couldn't walk. So they would carry me. 
you know what I mean, to the car. I would go get my, our shit, you know, because I didn't have to leave the car for any of that. I would just send Tracy up to the pharmacy, get the shit. She'd come down. We'd go meet my guy. He'd come out to the car, throw me my shit. And then we'd head back to Maryland, and I'd be asleep the whole time, pretty much, you know? So that's how I dealt with it. But, like, I have a high pain tolerance anyway, but, like, I just didn't care. And, like, my whole mattress was nothing but infection. Like, I was just laying on infection. Like, it was really bad. And, like, I had to be propped up in a certain way so that I wouldn't, like, stop breathing while I was sleeping because, like, it was causing, like, a lot of pressure on my lungs. And that's just how I lived for, like, a really long time. Well, I was sitting there shooting one day in my arm, and all of a sudden I was like, why is my arm, my leg is bothering me so bad today? Mind you, I haven't changed gauze. Everywhere I went, I had hundreds of flies around me. That's how disgusting I was. They had laid eggs in my, in my leg, and I had maggots crawling in my leg. Oh, my God. But the doctor told me if that wouldn't have happened, I probably would have lost the leg, too, because it ate all the infection. So it's very gross, but it's what happened. I have a really bad um, fear of flies now. If there's a fly in the house, I literally have a panic attack. But even that, I was like, whatever. Like, I, I didn't care. Like, I literally didn't. My friend Tracy came in, picked me up, put me in the tub, and I was just, like, surrounded by infection. We got some of the gauze off, but not much because it was, like, fused to my bone at this point. And finally, I started hallucinating. And my old my old dealer, like, we became really good friends. Like, I know it sounds crazy, but we became really good friends. And he kept telling me for, like, four months, like, you need to get, like, you need to go get help. Like, I'm really worried about you. Like, you need to get help. And I always downplayed how bad everything was because I would just, like, I would make my friend deal with him or whatever. Well, finally, one day he came out to the car and he saw me and he was like, I'm cutting you off. This is it. And he threw 10 bundles at me and was like, don't like if you call, I'm not going to answer. And mind you, I was bringing this man buku money, like a lot of money. So I thought he was full of shit. You know what I mean? So I did all that pretty much by the time we got home. I called him and he would not answer my phone call. Oh, wow. So then I started getting violently ill. He wouldn't answer me. Then he blocked me. Then he wouldn't answer my friend's calls. He wouldn't answer my boyfriend's calls. It got so incredibly bad that I had to go to the hospital. Like, it forced me into the hospital because he was his shit was the only shit that was going to get me well. So I don't remember much from going into the hospital at that point because I was so... I was just hallucinating, like, really bad. I was seeing my dead grandfather... My kids, just like a bunch of crazy shit. Like I was on an acid trip or something. Like it was wild. They came in and they thought my skin was the gauze because of how ripped up it was. But then they like slowly realized like, holy shit, this is gauze fused to her body. You know what I mean? And they were like, and now mind you, I had left the hospital during that year 44 times. Wow. I AMA'd 44 times. So this was my 45th time. And they were like, Tuska, if you leave, like my surgeon came in that did the skin grafts. My surgeon came in and he had a mirror and he was just like, look at yourself. And like, I hadn't looked in a mirror in years. Like, I swear to God, when I got ready, I would not even barely look in the mirror. Like, I, I hated looking at myself. And he was like, you're going to die. Like, if you leave, 
He's like, you're already losing your arm. And of course, I argued with them forever. Like I was a PhD. <laughs> I was like, no, you guys can just put a skin graft on it. He was like, Jessica, it's literally like seeped into your bones. And it's like, I have no clue how your bone hasn't snapped yet. Right. And I'm like, yeah, just throw a skin graft on it and I'll go home. You know what I mean? And he was like, no, if we don't cut your arm off, you're going to die. Like, if my, if the infection would have been, like, an inch more over, they said they would have probably just made me comfortable in hospice, because that's how bad it was. And so then they tried to fatten me up a little bit before the surgery for, like, a week. I had snuck a bundle in with me. I snuck it in. <laughs> and I put it up too far, and it got stuck. Oh, no. Right? So when that happened... I didn't want to tell anybody because I'm like, dude, I'm already like a headache to these people. You know what I mean? <laughs> so like, I'm like sitting there trying like for like a week, like, uh, like I'm going to end up having to tell them surgeries like in two days, like they're going to see it on the x-ray and stuff because oh, they're going to, no. they put me in one of those machines. Well, I finally had like my first bowel movement for like the first time in like a month, like no bullshit. And when I did, it caused it to come out. Okay. Right. Now, old me, I would have been digging through that and I would have, I would have found a way to do it. And there was just something in that moment when I was seriously thinking of doing that, where I was like, light bulb moment, where I was just like, I don't want to live like this anymore. Like, I just don't want to do this anymore. I'm so tired. Like, I'm just tired. Like, there's gotta be something better than this. You know what I mean? And I flushed it. And I think that was, like, a turning point for me, because then I was just like, I'm so done. Like, I'm ready to take this seriously. So then they took my arm off the first time. The first thing I said to them when I came out of surgery, I don't remember this, but they told me I said this. They, I was like, my next boyfriend's gonna love me. And they were like, why? And I was like, because when we go to the movie theater, I won't take up his armrest, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that sounds like me. <laughs> but then I was in the hospital for about three months, almost. I was learning how to walk again because I hadn't walked for like a year. Oh my God. Like, so wait, so were you also detoxing this whole time? How long were you fit? I just put on music and I was done. I, I don't know what it was this time, but it was just like, I lost everything. Right. And it was the only way that made me be like, I just, like, they asked me a bunch of times, like, do you want something text? Do you want this? Do you want that? No, I don't want anything. I just want to listen to my music. And I want everyone to chill. You know what I mean? How long? Um, of course, for? I I was on medication when I came out of surgery first, right. because they were, you know, they were afraid I would come out in a lot of pain. Right. But I wasn't in pain. I felt better once it was gone. Yeah, yeah. How long would you say you were sick for, though? Like how long until you felt well without drugs? I didn't feel normal, normal for like six months. Like I'm not even bullshitting. Like I would get these, um. I would call them like electric shocks when I walked. Like it was like it would go through my body. Like it was like an electric shock. And I used to get them when I was sick off of xylazine. So I had those for a while. But I would say like the physical part of it, I don't think I struggled with it as much because I was just mentally over it. You know what I mean? I think I, like I said, I always have had a really good like tolerance to pain and stuff. But I just think, honestly, I just gotten to the point where I was just over it. So it really didn't matter anymore. Like, 
I mean, it was rough, but it wasn't like as bad as it was when I knew I could get it right down the street because COVID was going on when this happened. So like nobody could visit me. I couldn't get shit if I wanted to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. So I think that helped a lot too. Like the the knowing that I can't get anything helped a lot. And and Lisa had twenty one twentyed me at the hospital, so I couldn't sign. Like she kept coming up with ways, like psych ways, saying I was insane, pretty much. So I couldn't sign myself out. So any point in time during this, is anybody talking to you about recovery? Lisa did. Okay. Um, she was the addiction specialist that I was talking about before. She was amazing. I loved her. Okay. But really, a lot of them, it was just like, because I had a lot of blood transfusions and stuff after this. I had to gain weight. Okay. There was a lot of that. Okay. So, like, it was really more um, getting me healthy-based okay. than anything. They treated me for hep C, like, you know, everything. Like, I, you know, I did that treatment while I was in there. There was just like, you know, all the, all, they. I think they were more focused on getting me healthy right. than anything. Yeah, okay. And then they wanted to know if I wanted to be put on maintenance. But at the time I was like, no, I don't want to be put on maintenance because everyone's going to think I'm still, you know, I'm still using blah, blah, blah. Because I had all that in my head from before. So I was like, no, I'm just cold turkey in at this time. I mean, it was, but like I said, I feel like my story is a lot different than a lot of other people's because like it was very extreme. So it kind of like made it easier for me to do a cold turkey because of how extreme it was. But like, I'm just one of those people that something extreme has to happen for me to like take anything seriously. <laughs> so you never use again? That's it? That was three years ago? And that was it. Wow. Okay. I never picked up a needle again Holy in shit. my life. Okay. Like I, I, now I did drink a couple times okay. in the beginning, but I started seeing kind of like a, I was starting to want to do it like every other day. It started on the weekends and I wanted to do it like every other day. And I was like, no, this isn't healthy. I'm not going to do this. Then I was just like, for me, I have to be abstinent because it's the only way. Like when me and my boyfriend got back together, because, you know, he was just pretty much waiting in the wings. Like, you know, he didn't date anybody after me, like seriously. And uh, he came down last summer to see the kids while I was here at my mom's and it was just like you know he was always like my my one you know what I mean like he was he was the guy that I always wished I wouldn't have screwed over the way I did he was always a great dad he's he's just he's an all-around good guy and like he never really like got into drugs like he dabbled you know what I mean so he never really understood it but like he honestly like I was doing good my first year and a half of sobriety, but, like, when he came back in my life, he made me feel like I had worth, like, I finally had some worth, and that, like, I could be the mom I always wanted to be, I could do everything that I wanted to do, even with the one arm, like, he never looks at me like I'm someone with one arm, or, like, someone that can't do anything, and, like, I needed that, I needed someone that calls me on my bullshit, and, like, never never thinks I can't do anything because like that getting babied was the worst in the beginning everyone babied I just realized it's your right arm were you right-handed yeah <gasps> my I was right-handed yeah Fuck. okay hold on so I, I gotta I want to back up all right so you're in the hospital mm, go ahead. you take off your arm you're in there for three months 
What did you do when you got out? You had to learn to walk again. Where did you move? What, did you start working? What did you do? How did you rebuild your life? The first thing I did, because the only person I could trust at that time, because I didn't have family, I didn't have a support system or anything at this time. What did I do? There's like four left. There was four, there were four today, you dumb shit. And you ate all the damn buns. Okay. Oh my God. Bye, Mom. <laughs> I'm going to kick your ass when you get in here. The baby wanted it. Baby my ass. Okay, hold on. We literally have to address what just happened because I'm gonna leave it in. Did your mom just come out and yell at you for eating the last of her hot dogs? Did that happen? Okay. (laughs) This is my family. (laughs) My whole family's like this. Holy shit! My dad's out here. My dad's out here on the grill making ribs. And my mom, my mom and me are a lot of like in the fact that we're both really big smartass. Yeah. Okay, how do you rebuild your life? And I'm guessing I know who you're going to say you reached out to, your pharmacist buddy. No, because he actually, his wife found out about us like right before this, right? So I didn't reach out to him. I reached out to my old plug because he had all my money. He's the only one I could trust with my money. So I had gotten a wire to him to hold all my money. So I rode up, met him, got my money, went back home. And, like, didn't even have, like, the, I didn't even want to get anything from him. You know what I mean? Like, it didn't even cross my mind. Mind you, at the time, I'm, like, bald-headed because they had to, like, cut all my hair off. My boyfriend at the time, my youngest two's father, we ride back to the house, and it was just kind of, like, I didn't know where to go from there, really, because I had reached out to, like, my grandmother and stuff, my mom's mom. But my mom and my dad were not speaking to me still. Like, there was, like, I never thought that was going to happen again. Like, my mom made it pretty clear that my dad told me, uh, told her that I would never darken the doorstep. You know what I mean? So I really didn't have anyone but my boyfriend's mom at the time. And then I slowly got my grandmother to talk to me. So for, like, the first three months, it was really lonely. I found TikTok. I was like, oh, my God, like, these people are just on here talking about addiction. Like, I'd never seen something like that before. So for a long time, I was just kind of like a silent watcher. I started seeing these creators that I'm actually really good friends with now, but I looked up to in, like, early recovery. And, like, you know, so I started doing that and, like, just talking kind of, like, in DMs with people and stuff. And then, like, people were like, hold on, you lost your arm to the, like, you know what I mean? And I was like, yeah. And I had a really good friend, Ashley, who told me to start posting. And at the time, I was really self-conscious about what I looked like. And which is crazy because everyone that like watches me now is like, like, you don't give a shit. Like, you just, you don't care what you look like. But in the beginning, I would literally wear like masks over my face. Like, because I didn't want people to see my teeth. So... Fast forward to like Christmas time that year. So I had gotten clean in September. Christmas time, my grandmother talked my mom into letting me come see the kids with my daughter, Zoe. She's five now, but at the time she was like two. So I get in the car, I ride over there. I see the kids for the first time and they're just kind of like looking at me like they don't know what to say. You know what I mean? I'm still really tiny and my son, Liam, probably didn't even really remember me because he was like four years old when I left. So, like, my oldest kind of was, like, you know, really weird. 
towards me and stuff. So like it was it was very awkward. But I got to see them for the first time. Then I cried the whole way home because like I was like, you know, my kids are never gonna forgive me. So then I like really went full force into TikTok after that because like I was like, you know, this is the only place where I feel like support right now. You know what I mean? Which like I don't blame my family for that. I did that to myself with them. But like, so I went full force into TikTok. And then I just got to this point where I was like, you know what? This is who I am. These are my teeth. I don't give a shit anymore. So I just started being like, be confident with who you are, no matter what. And like, people were really drawn to that. And I started making like really good friends. And then I started like, I have friends that are creators now that tell me like, I never would have posted because of my teeth until, like, I watched your page. Because, like, I mean, you know, I got the whole meth mouth. Everyone always thought I was on meth. And everybody always thought, like, you know, because, like, my teeth were so deteriorated. But, like, what people don't understand is, like, that can happen for, like, a hundred million reasons. You know what I mean? So I dealt with a lot of hate in the beginning. And because of how I dealt with people and dealt with hate, it died down pretty quickly because like, I just never let it bother me. Cause like I, I've been through hell and back. There's nothing you can really say to me. Um, and then like that confidence kind of spewed over into real life, to be honest. Cause like, then I started not taking no for an answer. I started like, you know, showing up even when no one wanted me to. And, you know, and like me and my parents are still building like a relationship, like, to this day, but I, I never thought it would get to the point where it is now. So, yeah, yeah. not like, cause me and my mom were like best friends, like when I was younger and like, I never thought we could have that again. But I mean, obviously, as you can see, like we do now, but it was a lot of work. You know what I mean? So how did you learn to use, cause even people don't think about it, even when you like text and shit, how did you acclimate to using your left hand instead of your right? How have you acclimated to all of this? I really don't know how I did it. It just kind of like, I was just kind of like, this is my life now. And I just started doing it. Like I, I was in the hospital, like when I was in the hospital, I was writing my name all the time and stuff. I just kept busy. And cause like, I still have this twitch in this hand from my nerve damage where I throw stuff when I'm holding it. I just kind of just started doing it and then I get I still get this twitch yeah. in my hand it's not as bad now since I started being able to like lift things more where I'll just like I'll be like holding my phone like every phone I have is cracked you know what I mean because like I'll just throw it like randomly while I'm walking not meaning to it's just like a nerve damage thing I have so but like I just did it like I don't know I really I don't think there was really a plan I was just kind of like eh, this is you know my life now and I never like cried about it or like mourned any of it I was just kind of like <laughs> I gotta use my left hand now so did you do any recovery stuff when you got out how did you continue staying clean or what did that look like for you I tried meetings for a little while and I hated it I think I was at like my third meeting and I didn't really like the people there to start with because they were all like five years and up so they were like they were clicky, you know what I mean? So I was in there and a girl came in there and she was obviously like in active addiction, right? And I like welcomed her, you know what I mean? And like sat with her so like she wouldn't feel alone. And like she was like naughty through the meeting and stuff like that. Like I was always taught that those were the most important people in the room. That's what they tell you anyway. 
And at the end of the meeting, I got scolded for because they don't want their meetings to give off the impression that that's okay. And I was like, so, okay, but even if she's an active user, she came to a meeting because she's obviously, like, at least thinking about getting help. Like, isn't that what we're supposed to do? And they were like, you're an early recovery. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're you're not even doing your step work yet. And yada, yada, yada. And I was like, that was it for me. I was like, no, nah, I'm good. I don't want to do this. You know, they also didn't let people, like, uh, celebrate that we're on that. They always pretty much said there was, like, a hierarchy at that meeting. So I tried another meeting. It just didn't click well for me. And then I was just like, eh. And to be honest, TikTok became my support group. Like, it really did. Like, yeah. the people I met on there became my support group. TikTok is great for that. It is because, like, there's never been an app, really, that, like, connects you the way TikTok does. You know what I mean? So, totally. really, that was my totally. support system more than anything. And then you said you found a meeting that you did like? I found a meeting recently that I really like. It's called All Path. And the guy that the runs Kyle, it, I that, used to get high with. Is that Kyle? Huh? Is that Kyle that runs it? Is it Kyle that runs uh, it's, it? It's Stephen. Uh, there's an, like, they have branches everywhere. Um, This okay. one is Stephen okay. and uh Nate that run this one. But they have, like, the, All Paths is becoming, like, a thing around here, like, uh, in, like, neighboring, like, states and stuff. But it, it's be really becoming a movement. And it's, like, they don't care if you're a canna. They don't care if you're active use, just looking for help. They don't care if you're on mat. They do not make you feel any kind of way. Now, I started going because they reached out to me because my friend Steve that I used to actually get high with, who runs it now, came across my TikTok and was like, I'd really like you to come and check this out and I want to see what you think. So I started going and I really enjoyed it. I think it's just more, I'm afraid to get, I think I'm just traumatized from meetings in general. Like I think meetings just like automatically, I'm, I'm like, I'm afraid it's going to turn into like a cult mentality. You know what I mean? And like, I don't look down on anybody. Like if you recover that way, that's great. It's just something that like is really hard for me. But they are a great meeting. They really are. I haven't been to one in a couple of weeks, but they're great. They have like is it online? They have a Zoom meeting too on Mondays. They oh, have they a do. Zoom meeting okay. on Mondays, and then they have a meeting every night, pretty much. What does your life look like now? So I know we spoke. I asked you this on the phone. You have like more of an appreciation now for your life after everything that happened. And this is why I wanted to get you on the show because after everything that happened, and this is about the most certainly physically detrimental situation probably that I've, of anybody that we've interviewed, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You know, you're in the car, missing an arm, hair gone, teeth gone. This is how you start your life. And you now have a great positive attitude. Anyone that sees your TikTok, see that. You have a great sense of humor. You shared with me that you actually feel more appreciative of your life now. Can you talk about that? I think, honestly, for the longest time, there was just something inside of me I, I hated. I, like, I would always try to uh, portray confidence and happiness, but I was just not a happy person. I, like, I had to lose everything to gain everything back. Like, to gain everything I never even had, you know what I mean? I just enjoy everything now. Like, I enjoy waking up and not 
you know, feeling like I have to go hustle up money, waking up and knowing that I'm going to like get my kids ready for school or, you know, just every little thing, you know what I mean? Like every little thing that I took for granted before, it's like the day, like I tell, I told my kids, I was like the day that they took my arm, it's like they cut all the bad out of my life. Like that was honestly what happened. Like I woke up a different person. Like I woke up with a different mentality. I woke up with a new lease on life. It was just like, I was either going to change for the better or I was just going to die. Like it was one or the other. And after like losing everything and like never thinking I would get to the point where I would actually like have a place, you know, to call my own where I can, you know, where, you know, cause I'll be, I have my own place now. My parents trust me with, with my kids and stuff, which is like a huge thing for me. You know what I mean? Like when I say I'm going to be somewhere and when I tell them that, you know, they can count on me to do that thing, they, they know I will, you know, I'm going to start homeschooling my older two kids this year. And, you know, my parents are trusting me with that. So it's like, I never thought I would get to this point and I would have never gotten here if I wouldn't have had a positive outlook on things. No matter how bad it got, I would always be like, well, I could be back with an infected arm and dying in my bed. So like anything was better yeah. than that. I was going to say earlier, you guys were talking. So I think it's, you know, it's wild that, that people have that like idea about Matt and it, it makes me wonder like, and I, and I, and I know you're grateful for your life now and everything that you have, but it, for one, it makes me wonder like what would have happened if like doctors didn't get cut off. Cause like, like I don't, I don't believe in like prescribing all that medication just for like their financial gain. I don't believe in that. I believe that people need medication. They should get medication. You know what I mean? Like people like you definitely suffered. Like they pushed you to the street when they did that. And like, they still do that today. And like oh, yeah. they push people, towards their death, you know, or, or just bad, bad situations, like with like abruptly cutting people off Adderall or with the, you know, yeah. the whole mm-hmm. telehealth with like buprenorphine and stuff like that. It's like, dude, you're pushing them to an illicit supply where they might die or they're going to face some like heavy metal consequences. Mm-hmm. And like, they never, yeah. they never look at that. And also we didn't, we didn't touch on it, but unfortunately, like when the drug supply shifts for like whatever reason, as it always does, we're always like, four to five years behind like so it may be there but oh, yeah. we don't know to test for it it's not showing up it's not being documented you know and it definitely pisses me off like tremendously that they always call it a, an emerging threat when the only thing that's emerging mm-hmm. is a fucking response to it after it's been here for mm-hmm. x amount of years you know what i mean i agree a hundred percent because i tell people all the time addiction is a money game like it really yeah, is oh, in the sure. long run for so sure. it's you know what I mean? Like, you know, they get you addicted and then they give you the cure all for it. And either way, they're making money. So it's like, it's so fucked up. And then they'll just take away the supply at any time. And then people have to go find more detrimental, like, you know, ways of getting that high because you've already gotten them addicted to it. So it's like, it's a never ending cycle. Yeah. Yeah. The sad thing about like buprenorphine or or methadone is like, there's all this stigma and like people feel like they have to come off of it because they're literally, and this is my experience too. Like I'm fighting like an inner battle where like, I know it's helping Mm -hmm. me, but everybody's like putting all this pressure on me and it's, Mm -hmm. it like splits me in half if that makes sense. And it's like that, I mean, that's the gold standard with treating opioid use disorder, especially because, because it's like if people, when people realize they die, you know what I mean? It's death. Not all the time, but that's, you know, a huge thing. And 
And it's real shitty that you were in the hospital and they didn't even know. Like they couldn't even I'm sure this is still a thing now that they're not treating the withdrawal symptoms from xylazine because xylazine make you, you get sicker quicker from xylazine than you do Fetty. You know what I oh, mean? Oh yeah. Matt medication is not even working. Yeah, because it, it it hits on a completely different receptor. So what do you do when you're sick from xylazine? So I think the protocol now is like obviously they're gonna give you whatever medication for opioids. You know, they might give you bute or whatever. They might give you they might give you like a low dose opioid, you know what I mean? But for xylazine, it's like Dilaudid or something. It's clonidine and, and some sort of benzodiazepine for the okay. withdrawal because it's the GABA receptors. Yeah, okay. because xylazine is is like a I forgot what it's it's very very similar to clonidine and okay. and, and some other drug. But so that's like what the supposed okay. the withdrawal protocol is. But back then they definitely they didn't know when she was in the no, hospital. No, they you know they I mean? were throwing shit at the wall to see what stuck with me. Yeah, and, and, and even now, like I know people the people that I see on the street, they're like, don't call the fucking ambulance. They know what the deal is. They're gonna get treated like shit. Yeah. And uh yeah, but, and, yeah, and you do. I'll tell you what, I was lucky because I had an amazing shout out to Christiana Care nursing staff that I had because like they were amazing. They never made me feel that way. They were just like the most loving, funny people. I loved them to death. But I tell people all the time, I'm like, everyone wants to act like the gold standard. You know, it never was, though, if you really think about it, abstinence, because like the statistics don't lie. Statistically, it's just not like, yeah, my story's different. Like I tell people that all the time. I'm like, I had something really insane happen. So abstinence works for me. But like, I tell people all the time, dude, like, listen to your body. Like, don't listen to people because you know you're doing good. You know that you're getting your life together. Your kids know you're getting your life together. Yeah. That's all that matters. Yeah, I agree. With like, you. in my I opinion, that's that. all that matters. And like, I get so much hate on the internet because they'll be like, you know, from the abstinence community where they're like, you can't be abstinent and then be preaching about mat medication yes, and, and harm reduction. Like, how dare you? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, bro, I just don't want people to die. Like, oh, I don't sure. care what they do. Like, I just don't. Like, if they come to me and they tell me I was doing two bundles a day and now I'm only doing one, I'm happy because they're at least getting to a point where they might stop. Yeah. I don't care yeah. if someone comes to me and tells me, you know, that they smoke weed every day to just, like, I don't care. Yeah. Like, I don't care what it is. I'd rather that happen and your kids have a parent and your mom have their child back and all that stuff. All that other shit is just minuscule to me. Of course. Right. Like, I'll never understand the mentality of this hierarchy and recovery where it's like, we were all junkies at one point selling our bodies and freaking putting needles in our arms, but we'll be the first ones to be like, you're not worthy that's of true. recovery. So, like, that's it's so, so sick yeah. to me. I'm like, yes. bro, we were all on the street doing doing shameless shit. Totally. Like, what, what is going on here? That's so true. We're all from the same fucking streets doing the same awful shit. I'm going to walk in here and look down on someone else. That's like wild. It's so, it's ridiculous. I'm with you, like, dude. I'm abstinence-based and I promote harm reduction. We absolutely, so see, we can absolutely do that. Do you know what I mean? We see whatever the fuck Yeah, we 100%. Because, like, dude, harm reduction could have saved me from losing my arm if, like, we'd have had those services back in the day. You were on methadone and people made you get off. You actually, you are actually an example of Matt was working. 
Because, like, it's just, like, the community makes you feel like you have to. Right, totally. Yeah. Well, that's why we do these episodes, and that's why I wanted to have you on. And I so appreciate your time. You really amaze me. I admire you so much. I've watched your stuff on TikTok for a long time, and your story is, like, really amazing. The last thing I want you to share is you have a very inexpensive way to replace your teeth. Can you tell our audience how to do that? Because a lot of our audience, same thing, deals with needing dentures. They're very expensive. Well, I had a full set, um, and then the dog got the upper denture. (laughs) But we did fix it, so. Yep, they look amazing. I actually like this one better, to be honest. So I'm kind of glad it happened because I like this one better. But I got it at denturey.com, D-E-N-T-U-R-I. Dot com. I reached out to them because I was like, I am in a recovery community. I was like, I have, you know, like a decent page on TikTok. And I was like, and I have a lot of friends that I know, like, really need dental work done, but it's such a racket and it's so expensive. If you guys want, I was like, I don't want any money or anything like that. I just want you guys to send me like a promotional box and I will give a, you know, I'll try to make it with my grandmother. And then I'll give an honest review. You know what I mean? And that video blew, like, everyone was watching that video um, of us making it. And it's not, like, I tell everybody to set aside, like, a day. Because it took me about seven hours to do the upper and bottom. Now, this time around, it took me an hour and a half to do this. Because, like, I knew what I was doing. But I have a code where you can get 7% off now because I just wanted to help people as much as I could. How much is it? Getting them because it's it's under 100 bucks. It's like... That's awesome. I'm not exactly sure all the way, but it's under 100 bucks. It's like 90 some. And then there's a 7% off if you use code one arm badass. O-N-E-A-R-M-D-B-A-D-A-S-S. Which we discovered because I kept I kept sending the wrong code. I'll include your code too. I kept sending you the wrong email. <laughs> yeah, that, that D throws <laughs> everybody off. Um, <laughs> but I really love that you shared that about that. I wanted to ask you about that because that's definitely something that comes up because dental worth is, is expensive and you just made your own at home with this kit for under a hundred bucks. Like that's amazing. That's yeah. You know? And I love it. Like, yeah. I think it's great for what it's worth. Totally. Like, I mean, I really do. And they're a great company. Their customer service was stellar. Like, I mean, they got this out to me in three days. Like, and they sent me a bunch of extra stuff. So if something happened, which I'm glad they did since the adult. Right. Yeah. I'm going to make my lower one this week. Okay. So where can everybody find you and connect with you? I'm on TikTok. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. On Instagram, it's just one on badass. On TikTok, it's one on badass 3.0. And then, um... I don't even know what my link Wait, is on Facebook. Was there, hold on, was there already two one arm badass usernames? Yes. Because no, <laughs> I used to not care about the community guidelines. Do they also only have one arm, the other two people? No, I had two accounts. Oh, okay. This is your third. And okay, okay. I thought there, yeah, was there, I thought there were two other people in the world on TikTok named one arm badass. I had this troll that followed me for like ever and he's still on my account by the way I call him my best friend and he would just report my videos for like no reason so like I lost my first account at like 25k and then I lost my second account at like 14k and then this one I've I'm almost at a year that I've kept this account 
Dude, that is the one area that TikTok could do better. You can't even search oh my, my name. God. It comes up as a community violation. And I'm like, dude, it's mm-hmm. heroin with an E. It's not heroin. TikTok is so strict with their standards with that kind of stuff. It's really irritating. I've had a fentanyl xylazine tab on my like playlist for every single every single page I've had. I've had a fentanyl xylazine thing. And now it's like now that everyone's talking about it. They literally violated me for the playlist name. Right, right, yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jess. Do you have any other questions or anything? Okay. I'm really glad that we got a chance to talk today. I'm so proud of you, and your attitude is just so admirable to me, you know? I love you guys, too. I love your guys' content. I'm glad we got to talk. Me, too. Yeah, yeah, thank you for joining us. (laughs)